Pushkin. Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you, who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A. member, FDIC. Copyright 2024, J.P. Morgan, Chase & Co. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Previously on Deep Cover. It was the spring of 1985. Ned Timmons had been working undercover with bikers in the Detroit area for roughly three years. He thought he was close to finding something big, to infiltrating a smuggling ring. Supposedly, it was importing huge amounts of marijuana. And now he had a lead on someone who might be directly involved, a part-time car salesman who went by the nickname Shine. We're looking at what he has, a house and cars and everything, and no source of income. And then we're pulling phone records, bank records, and everything, and huge deposits of, you know, 50,000, 60,000 at a time. Ned thought he might have enough to try and flip Shine. The FBI knows a lot, but a lot of it is a game to try to ferret out the information you need. When you throw down the FBI badge and credentials, it horrifies guilty people. What Ned needed was an in, an introduction, and, as Ned recalls it, another one of his biker informants came up with the solution. They would all get together and have a chili cook-off, See who could cook the meanest bowl of chili con carne, because apparently, Shine loved to cook. So this would be a sort of informal Iron Chef competition. Ned says this other biker, his informant, set the whole thing up. Basically, he tells Shine, I was at this guy's house, and he makes the most incredible chili, and it's better than yours, Shine. Well, Shine's like, bull fucking shit is better than mine. We'll have a cook-off. And this is also exactly how it all goes down in the novel. Shine had taken the chili challenge seriously. Ned could smell the rich, peppery aromas from out in the neatly trimmed front yard. 
Every man has something he's proud of. The deck he built, the way he cooks a steak, how well-tuned his carburetors are. For Shine, it was his chili. In the novel, Ned describes Shine as a jackal, a guy with bright, intelligent eyes and a body that looked ready to bite fast and hard. Ned knocks on the door of Shine's house. So we uh, get in there and bullshit around, and I see that in the kitchen is, is a regular-sized shotgun. Shotgun above the door, AR-15 in one corner, guns all over the place. At this point, Ned says he's still very much in character, just playing the role of Ed Thomas, the badass biker who just stopped by to cook some chili and down some brewskis. He's just waiting for the right moment when everyone is relaxed, guards down. We go about an hour, and uh, we're sitting in the kitchen, and uh, I said, well, it's time to make a move. I just took my creds out of my pocket and laid them on the table and I said, Shine, I'm an FBI agent. I'm going to send you away for life. I'm going to take this motherfucking house. I'm going to take your cars. I'm going to take any money you got in the bank. You're not going to have a fucking penny. And you play ball with me or all this is gone. All of it. Ned says that it took Shine time to come around, but eventually, after many hours of hemming and hawing, he agreed to cooperate, to switch sides and start working for the FBI. But not necessarily because Ned won him over with his tough talk or his badge. Shine, I found out, had his own agenda, and that agenda had everything to do with one crucial detail that was obvious if you just looked at the guy. He'd been shot in the right thigh and, and took a probably eight-inch circular chunk of meat out of his leg and some of the bones so it was shorter. He had to wear a shoe with a big lift, and, and so he limped quite a bit. So yeah, the jackal, the wild predatory dog, in real life, he was partially disabled. Because, turns out, someone had almost killed him. And when Ned showed up, Shine was looking for an escape. I'm Jake Halpern, and this is Deep Cover. Episode 3, El Dorado. Shine was hurt badly in the shooting. He was in a coma, intubated, just lying there. Shine's son, Adam, who was 15 at the time, still remembers it all. Every day after school was kind of a death watch. Because he was in the, in the hospital for a long time. Mom picked us up from school. Just it became routine. Doing your homework, sit there for a couple hours, go home, and that was your day. And that went on for a long time. His father eventually came too, but he was in the hospital for three months before he finally was ready to go home. Well, not home exactly. As Shine gets ready to leave the hospital, he decides they can't go back to Melvindale, the working class factory town where they lived. 
And as Adam remembers it, Dad had come up with a bold new plan. We were better off getting out of there. And that was the way it was presented to us kids. Like, hey, it's, you know, we know you're leaving all your friends that you've known forever, but we need to get out of here. So they decided to relocate. They found a place where the family could lay low, escape the trouble that was brewing in Detroit. They moved to Clarkston, a rural hamlet surrounded by lakes about 40 miles north of Detroit. It would be great if we could ask Shine how he remembers all of this going down. But remember, he's deceased. He got cancer in the 90s and passed away. So we can't ask him. But we did get our hands on about 600 pages of court testimony, all Shine, under oath, telling his side of the story. And the story that emerges, well, it's not entirely consistent with Ned's version of events. Shine says he was actually looking for Ned, that he had heard about an agent he could trust from Toby Anderson, the violent country western singer. Remember, that's Shine's older brother, and he vouches for Ned. In his testimony, Shine says he was looking for Ned because he was scared, scared of his bosses. He suspected it was one of them who had him shot. Shine says in the court records, it seemed to me like the group was out of control. They were smuggling cocaine more and more frequently, and I was afraid I was going to get shot again. That's the reason I went to Ned Timmons, not because of fear of going to jail. Slowly, Shine started to tell Ned about the group, as he called it, the smugglers. Shine said it was a large operation involving countless people across many states, and he was in charge of security. His job was to use that mysterious briefcase with the voice stress analyzer, his portable lie detector, to vet every single would-be employee. If this were true, Shine was the linchpin, the one guy who knew everyone. There was just one problem. Shine hated being an informant. He didn't feel good about it. You know, it, was, it wasn't the type of person that he was, but he knew it was what he had to do to uh, stay alive, to protect his family. I was aware of the stress he was going through. I was aware of how much it hurt him. These were his friends. These are the guys that he went to Texas and fished bass with. These are the guys he traveled with, and, you know, they were like a team. He's trading them in, and he's getting you. Basically, yes. You're, you're his new best friend. That's what you had to do. You had to get whatever information you could out of him. And during this time with Shine, do you think that he considers you his friend? Yeah, I think so. On, on one hand, he was a total crazy, drunken, drug addict, wild man. On the other hand, he always wanted to protect his family. If something happens to me, you got to take care of my family. And did you take that seriously? Yeah. One of the things that Ned was most curious about was a rumor that somewhere in Detroit, there was a massive warehouse that smugglers were using to distribute their drugs. The place sounded mythic, the El Dorado of stash houses. And Shine basically tells Ned, yep, that warehouse, it's ours. Yeah, Shine discussed the warehouse with me, and he said, here, I'll show you. And we went and identified it. Shine was quickly proving his worth. He knew all about this warehouse because the guy who ran it was his boss. And, you know, Shine tells me about this guy, Mike Vogel. 
you know, Shine said that Vogel was controlling most of the weed going into University of Michigan. Now, Ned had a direct lead on him, and he put him under surveillance. After the break, I tracked down Mike Vogel, the mastermind behind Detroit's legendary drug warehouse. Think about it. How would, how would you feel if you could buy anything you wanted to? There are no rules for the wealthy. And none. Just don't get stupid. As listeners to this show, you probably consider yourself pretty smart. But how smart is your wallet? When you're looking to upgrade your wallet, it's time to turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds has the financial smarts to help you find the right financial products for you. Before NerdWallet, you might have paid for vacations with whatever was in your wallet. But you could have been missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. Now you can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. I meet Mike Vogel at a house in a quaint town outside of Detroit. Mike greets me at the door, he's an older guy, and moves slowly, almost seems like he has a limp, but not meek, not at all, more like an old bear, not as fast as he used to be, but hey, don't mess with him. He grabs a cup of coffee, lights a cigarette, and just starts talking. But before we get into his life as a criminal mastermind, he tells me that I have to understand where he started out. Not with marijuana, but with groceries. you got to remember, way before all this, I worked for my father, okay? And I ran the frozen food and receiving docks for his company, okay? And that's when I learned about wholesale distribution. Yeah. Prior to being a big-time drug distributor, he was moving large quantities of frozen peas. And my father's warehouse was like two and a half city blocks long, full of uh, dry goods, full of canned goods, and a freezer that was 50,000 square feet. He was 
a grocery guy. And that's how he became an expert in inventory, specifically his father's tracking system. They used paper receipts with carbon copies, you know, almost like what you'd get at the dry cleaners. Mike grows up in the grocery business, one of 10 kids, goes to Catholic school. He says he was a reasonably good student. In college, Mike likes to party and hang out with girls, smoke some pot. At heart though, he's a business guy. He doesn't want to get caught and he wants to protect himself by learning more about who he might be up against. So he decides to do some homework. He starts volunteering for the police. My job was to watch the parking lots, quote unquote. I want to know the codes. Uh, I want to see how they were, how they acted. And police are not, um, they're not as smart as everybody thinks, you know? They, they're just doing their job. This whole experience only builds Mike's confidence, makes him think he can up his game, start dealing on a larger scale. Pretty soon, he's buying 500 pounds of marijuana down in Florida, loading it into the trunk of his Pontiac Bonneville, and driving it up to Michigan, where he sells it to smaller dealers. Um, I knew him from high school. All Catholic Central buddies. And he just keeps on expanding. I knew how to build. You have to have the product before you can do it. So what you have to do is have a constant supply. And that's what I had. It was a constant supply. Like any smart businessman, he had multiple suppliers. Eventually, big suppliers. Some would bring the marijuana in by plane to a small airport in northern Michigan or a grass strip down in Kentucky. Others brought it in by boat to secret landing sites down south and then brought it up north by truck. Then Mike Vogel needed somewhere to put it. He would store the product in the big warehouse out on 8 Mile. Mike, the grocery guy, he understood that when it came to selling produce, whether it was marijuana or, you know, Brussels sprouts, the key to profits was moving large quantities quickly and efficiently. Last but not least, he developed a network of trusted buyers who each had their own territory. For instance, college campuses like University of Michigan. And almost like a big retail chain, he used his muscle to push out competitors. I had it in such a way that I really controlled the marijuana industry in Michigan, in Ann Arbor and all the rest. I'd hear of someone else bringing in a load. I'd just bring in stuff and reduce my prices so they could. One guy, I heard he was selling his stuff for 310. I start selling mine at uh, 285. And I always had good product. All of this sounds like stuff out of a classic business school textbook, right? Sell large quantities so even slim profit margins can pay off. Keep your inventory moving. If competitors emerge, undersell them. Even if you lose some money, it's worth it to maintain control of the market. I mean, this guy could be your classic Midwestern CEO, which he kind of was. But all of this has to be done in complete secrecy. For example, most buyers didn't even know where his big warehouse was. When they came to make a pickup, he'd have them go to a rendezvous point like some truck stop. Then one of Mike's trusted drivers would take the buyer's vehicle to the warehouse, load it up with pot, and then head back to the truck stop for the handoff. They, they didn't have to know where my location was. Nobody needed to know that unless you're a fucking thief and you're going to try and steal it. Which would have been a tragedy on a lot of different levels. You can't allow anybody to steal from you. Mike's business, it was going 
very well. His nephew, Matt Vogel, a teenager at the time, remembers how he loved going to visit Uncle Mike. I bought a uh, Frank Lloyd Wright style house in Milford on 25 acres, 30 acres. But it wasn't just the classy architecture that intrigued young Matt. One time in one of the back bedrooms, I remember opening the door. There was so much money in there. It was just stacked in boxes in 20s and 100s. So you could smell it. Money has a very distinct odor. And there was just so much of it, you could, you could smell it. It's a complete adrenaline rush. Have you ever seen that much money? And you know it's just sitting there? And you could literally take it, and it'd be a long time before somebody figured it out. Matt says that hanging out with his uncle was always an adventure. You never knew where he might take you. So I get a call. We're going to go to the Super Bowl with Uncle Mike. We're thinking, this is great. So my mom drops me off at the Pontiac Airport. In fact, they saw George Bush Sr., who was vice president at the time, land at Pontiac Airport and hop into his motorcade, causing an epic traffic jam. But Mike, he wasn't going to wait in any traffic or deal with parking. I'm thinking, what's the deal? Well, we're going to take a helicopter. That's what you do. But that was that lifestyle. And they didn't care. I mean, who flies to the Super Bowl because you don't want to deal with parking? Once they were at the game, Uncle Mike, he seemed to love having little Matt around. Go, hey, Mike, we like, oh, give me a drink. And we go, hey, give me a $100 bill. I'd literally go up to the bar at 16 in the Silver Dome, and there's all these movie stars walking around. It's the Super Bowl. Buy him a drink, I don't know, whatever it costs. He never asked for the change. I must have went home with $2,000 in my pocket. Of course, two grand was nothing to Uncle Mike. Nothing. Think about it. How would, how would you feel if you could buy anything you wanted to? You could go buy a Learjet or you could buy this or buy that. Buy an island if you want, you know? It's a great feeling. There are no rules for the wealthy. And none. Just don't get stupid. This is the guy that the FBI and the U.S. Attorney General had conjectured about. A marijuana tycoon. A man with closets that literally looked like Scrooge McDuck's vault. But here's the funny thing about Mike Vogel, right? For him, the money came so fast and easy that eventually, he says, he kind of grew tired of it. Jake, I'm going to tell you something. It was a stressful, tough business to run on my end because I basically was involved in smuggling in the distribution of it, and then having to get the money back out. I mean, it, it took a lot from me. I was, I was sick of this fucking business. And it wasn't just exhaustion. It was the paranoia, too. He wondered who might be stealing from him, who would rat on him, because it would just take one, one person, for everything to crumble. It was right around this time that Mike got a call from his partner, the guy who actually smuggled the dope into the U.S. He had very good news. The next shipment, codenamed Bulldog, would be 10 times the usual amount, 300,000 pounds of marijuana. Mike Vogel, he freaked out. How in the hell do you bring in 300,000 pounds, expect how to distribute it, how to get the money? It, it was just too much. To compound his fears, Mike got a tip from a trusted friend. Another smuggler, a guy who knew things. And this guy tells him the bulldog shipment has been compromised. The feds know about it. This suggested there was a rat. 
I became really distrustful of Shine, okay? Really distrustful. Shine and Mike Vogel had been working together for a while at this point. Shine vetted everyone with his lie detector machine. So if there was a rat, he had somehow slipped past Shine. Unless, of course, the rat was Shine. You know, once you've been in that business and you're always wary about what's going on around you, I'm not a dumb person, and he just didn't fit. This bout of paranoia occurred around the same time as Bulldog, well over a year before Shine actually flips. So at the time, Shine was not an informant. And he basically tells his boss, look, there's no way our smuggling ring has been compromised. Shine remembered this conversation and actually recounted it at trial. I'm just going to read to you a bit from the court transcripts. Shine, I told him there was no way in the world there could have been any type of infiltration. I had tested everybody. And Michael said, you're either a cop or they paid you off. And I said, well, I'm neither. I told him they could test me. Prosecutor, did he? Shine, yes. Prosecutor, did anyone interpret that test? Shine, well, he interpreted. I had to chart it for him, but it did take place. Prosecutor, did you pass? Shine, yes, I'm here. They told me if I flunked, I was dead. But it didn't matter. Mike Vogel couldn't shake off his suspicions. And so he bailed on the operation. He walked away from the 300,000 pound load, what was arguably one of the largest loads of marijuana in U.S. history. In the months to come, Mike Vogel continued to nurse his suspicions about Shine. It was like once this idea had wormed its way into his mind, he just couldn't let it go. And then one day towards the end of 1983, a member of Mike's outfit blasts Shine with a shotgun at close range. Almost kills him. This is how Shine ends up in the hospital in a coma with his son sitting by his side. And this is why Shine walks with a limp for the rest of his life. In reporting this out, I've heard so many different versions of why Shine was shot. No one can agree. Some claim it was just a stupid quarrel that got out of hand. For his part, Mike Vogel denies that he had anything to do with this, though he did speak with the shooter and told him, Well, the problem with you is you're a bad fucking shot. I wish he had killed the son of a bitch. You can still hear a bit of rage in his voice. All these years later, it just kind of flares up. And Shine talks about Mike's temper too. Says that sometimes Mike seemed to become unhinged, that he was acting irrationally. He said that Mike was, quote, turning into a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde character. There's still a little Jekyll and Hyde in him. I caught a glimpse of this myself. When I visited Mike Vogel at his house, he was, for the most part, very cordial and welcoming, consummate Dr. Jekyll. And then one afternoon, I showed up with Matt Vogel, his nephew, and it got kind of weird. Mike seemed to think that me and Matt, his own nephew, were conspiring against him somehow when we first arrived. Don't fuck with me. Seriously. It's like, as I said, when you guys walked in and you said that you guys had gotten together and I was thinking about the other night, I said, you know what? In the olden days, I would have just called uh, Dale and a, uh, another couple of bikers and 
explain to you what happens if you keep on going the way you're going. That's kind of disturbing. Why? I it, it would only be disturbing if you were in the trunk of a car and you're going to some other place field and you get out and they beat the fuck out of you and leave you there. Matt and I just kind of looked at each other. Was Uncle Mike serious here? I mean, didn't seem like he was joking. And then, just like that, Mike was back to being Dr. Jekyll. Friendly, thoughtful, intelligent. Mike may have been an intimidating figure, but Shine, it turns out, had taken measures to protect himself. He had dirt on his boss, incriminating evidence, rental car receipts, hotel records, and other evidence. He even bugged a hotel room in Tampa and surreptitiously made recordings of Mike Vogel talking. Later on at trial, Shine discussed this. Here he is in the transcripts talking about all the evidence he had. Shine, I refer to them as my ace in the hole. You know, in case Vogel made any more threats on my life. And I told him I had documentation to back up my credibility. I could corroborate certain times and dates of smuggling. Prosecutor, you threatened Vogel that you had documentation? Shine, yes. In the end, Mike Vogel's paranoia, it may have been justified. Either that or it became a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like he was so worried that Shine was an informant, so certain that this was true, that he accused him of being a rat, made him take his own lie detector test, even wished him dead in front of others. And all of this seemed to spook Shine so badly, it sent him right into the open arms of the FBI. Coming up, Ned discovers that Shine, he has far more secrets to tell. Secrets that will lead them both on a bit of a wild goose chase very far from Detroit. As listeners to this show, you probably consider yourself pretty smart. But how smart is your wallet? When you're looking to upgrade your wallet, it's time to turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds has the financial smarts to help you find the right financial products for you. Before NerdWallet, you might have paid for vacations with whatever was in your wallet. But you could have been missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. Now you can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at t now. 
you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Ned and the FBI, they didn't go after Vogel right away. As big as Vogel was, as impressive as he was, he was just the distributor. And if you really wanted to understand how drugs were coming into the country and try to shut it down, then you didn't just go after the distributor. You wanted the smugglers, the supply chain, the financiers, the whole Megillah. The FBI prides itself on working the entire case, however long it takes to get everybody, not just to grab a kilo or a bale or, you know, seize a couple cars or something. Their game plan is to get the whole organization. Plus, if Ned arrested Vogel then, that would tip off the other players in the organization. Ned, he was still in undercover investigation mode. He had just begun to tap into what Shine knew. Remember, Shine was the guy who used his lie detector machine to vet everyone. I mean, basically, he was the one-man HR department of a national drug ring. But getting Shine to divulge all that information, well, that was not so easy. He'd ask some question and he'd be forthright on it. But again, you couldn't, you know, you knew you only had so long with him and he would just, like, uh, overheat. Ned says he'd do whatever he could to get inside of Shine's head. For example, he'd take him fishing. So Shine would relax. They'd have a few beers. And sometimes Ned says he'd even try to speak with a Texas drawl when they chatted because Shine apparently had a soft spot for Texans. Uh, you know, I just say... Ah, come on, Shine, you know, uh, let's have another beer. I think my bass was two inches bigger than yours, and, uh, and he, would, he would get pissed. He's, no, let me, me- let me measure that. Get, get, the, get the measuring thing out. You know, we've we got to measure that fish. I think my fish was bigger. From the outside, at least, Ned and Shine, they seemed like they were really tight. Ned's partner at the office, Linus Denilavicius, he picked up on this. He and Ned were probably uh, fairly identical uh, to each other, had the same qualities and same uh, gift of gab. That's why probably Ned was able to convince him to uh, flip. The difference between one and the other is uh, one's involved in legal activity and the other one's involved in law enforcement activity. But the personalities almost match identical. But Ned says he was just acting that it was all fake. In other words, he was just doing his job and doing it well, trying to get as close to this guy as he could, building, I guess you'd call it intimacy, or maybe it was more like emotional manipulation. In any case, Ned says that the effort of doing this day in and day out, it started to wear on him. I think it's almost a form of PTSD. You're so psychologically involved with these people, and it's such, you know, you're solving problems for their family, for their kids, for their relatives or whatever. You know, they, they bring every problem to you and you have to solve it within the rules of the FBI. 
these two guys, they needed each other. Ned needed Shine to make his case. And Shine, well, you know, he needed Ned to help him and his family find a way out and escape. In a way, it was your classic symbiotic relationship. But honestly, I think it was more than this. Shine and Ned shared something. There was a strange symmetry to their lives. Ned was that dude living near the country club who'd grown a Fu Manchu mustache, learned to ride a Harley, and was passing as a biker with access to meth. Shine was a clever criminal from the working class streets of Melvindale, who was now laying low in the suburbs, passing as just another guy with a dad bod. They were both essentially undercover agents, but not identical. They were mirror images of one another. And then one day, Shine really starts to talk. We got our hands on an FBI report that cataloged everything he told Ned in one session they had together. Shine charts out the whole network, giving Ned an organized chart of the whole company. He tells him locations, Sheridan Hotels in Tampa, Florida, a house in Slidell, Louisiana, places in Ohio, Kentucky, Boston, Detroit. And he confirms the size of some of their loads, 27,000 pounds, 35,000 pounds, 300,000 pounds. And then he had names for Ned. Allegedly, those involved included an American diplomat, a Texas billionaire, a Teamster executive. The list went on and on. Shine knew everyone from the ship captains to the guy working the radios to the offloaders. Shine basically tells Ned, if you can stop this organization, you're going to stop most of the marijuana coming into the United States. I was excited. I, I knew it was a massive operation. And I knew that we, you know, had the key to the safety deposit box to open it all up. Shine also tells Ned in so many words, I know how the smugglers did it. I know what boats they used. I know where the secret offload sites were. I know how it all works because I was there on the ground when some of these ships came in. I know the whole system. So Ned and Shine, they started taking some trips together and they go deep into the swamps of North Carolina to the marshy inlets that pirates once used. Next time on Deep Cover. He called me up, just, you know, he chewed the bull. He said, Bobby, you need any place? Uh, some of us boys could unload some pot. <laughs> I says, oh yeah. He was dressed for a disco, flared pants. He had a shirt that was uh, silk and it was open to his uh, sternum. He had gold chains, all, all these items you don't wear on a, an open boat in Carteret County. Deep Cover is produced by Jacob Smith and edited by Karen Chikurji. Our story editor is Jack Hitt. Original music and our theme was composed by Luis Guerra, and Flawn Williams is our engineer. Fact-checking by Amy Gaines. Mia Lobel is Pushkin's executive producer. Ned's novel is read by Walton Goggins. Special thanks to Julia Barton, Heather Fain, Carly Migliori, 
Lital Malad, Maya Koenig, Eric Sandler, Maggie Taylor, Khadija Holland, Zoe Gwen, and Jacob Weisberg at Pushkin Industries. Special thanks also to Jeff Singer at Stowaway Entertainment. I'm Jake Halpern. dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.